It's great to see you. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Man, I I love Easter Sunday, and uh, I love being here at Rocky River Church. I'm glad you guys are here. If you're a first-time guest with us today, my name's Jimmy. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we want you to feel welcome and at home and uh, enjoy today's service. Uh, Let me also just welcome those who are listening to this message on our podcast if, uh, if you love the message and you think it was helpful, by all means, email a link to all your friends. Uh, if you don't find the message helpful or good, then uh, just keep that to yourself, and uh, I'll try to do better next week. Anyway, it's great to see you guys this morning. As most of you know, we have a, a preschool here at Rocky River Church called the Bridge Academy, and, and I love our preschool. I, I think it's one of the best things that we do. I love hearing the kids sing. Uh, where my office is located, it's, it's right next to their, uh, their area where they get their Bible lesson and different things like that. So I can hear them sing. I really dig that. And uh, sometimes we, we get privy to the things that they will, um, that they'll say, you know, especially some, some funny things. And uh, this past Thursday, because the kids were out of school on, on Good Friday, but on Thursday, Cynthia had all the kids out in our prayer garden because we have a cross there, and it was a nice day and, and all that. So Cynthia was explaining to the kids about Jesus and the cross, and of course she was doing it in a, you know, in a, a preschool-appropriate way. But when she was explaining about Jesus being on the cross, you know, and the cross is right there, one of, one of the kids said, Miss Cynthia, you mean Jesus was here? And, uh, you know, out of the mouth of babes. So... No, Jesus was not right here, but he is alive. And he says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst of them. So I believe he's here today, and I'm glad you are too. Uh, Today we're kicking off a brand new message series that I'm calling, I Have Questions. And during the series, we're going to answer some of the most commonly asked questions questions that people have about God or people have about the Bible or life in general. For for example, in a couple of weeks, and I should know the message order, but I can't remember them right now, but um, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be doing a message about creationism versus evolution. Uh, I'm going to teach separate messages on heaven and hell. Like, what does the Bible really say about heaven and hell? And we're going to be dealing with topics like that. But today we're going to deal with what I think is the most important question of all, which is, did Jesus really rise from the grave? Did Jesus really rise from the grave? Now, I'm sure that you already know where I fall on this question. You you know that, of course, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But, but instead of me just standing up here and saying, yes, I believe in the resurrection and you can too, and then we just leave, um, I, I want to give you the evidences for why I believe that Jesus rose from the grave and why I believe that you can believe in it as well. Why does it matter? Jesus rising from the grave is critical because if he didn't rise from the grave, then 
we're wasting our time here this morning. We should have gone to the beach or the mountains or we could be playing golf. We could be doing lots of things if Jesus is not alive. And if you think about it, as a follower of Jesus, and maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, but as followers of Jesus, everything we believe, everything we do in life, everything we believe about the life that's to come all depends on the resurrection of Jesus. And listen, him being God. If you have your message notes out, I want you to look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If Jesus is not alive, then our faith is useless and we have put our hope into empty, wishful thinking. It matters that Jesus is alive. Now, before we go any further, I want to say just a word or two to those of you here today who are doubters uh, or skeptics. First of all, you're in the right place. Rocky River Church is a church for people who have never been to church um, or people who have given up on church as usual. So if you're here today, maybe some, uh, a friend dragged you here or whatever, if you're, you're here and you're not even really sure why you came to church because you have doubts and, uh, and, and, and questions and concerns, you just want to kick the tires a little bit, you're in the right place. So if you're feeling uncomfortable, just relax. But what I would like to ask you to do is this. Listen with an open mind. Wow, an open mind? Absolutely. Don't, don't check your, your mind at the door. Keep an open mind and keep an open heart and follow the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to wherever it leads you. Our focus passage for this morning is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. If you have your, your message notes, take those out. And I encourage you to take those message notes out. I want you to, to write some things down. I want you to fill in these blanks. Fill up the margins. You remember what you write down. So, so take some notes today. Still with me? Everybody good? Deep breath? All right, here we go. Th this is Paul writing to the the church at Corinth, I don't have time to explain everything that was going on there, but Corinth was just a, a, as pagan a place as you can imagine a city being. And the church there wasn't, it wasn't a big church, it, it, there, there wasn't a lot of people there, but there, there were some believers and they're likely having some doubts and concerns. And so Paul is trying to shore up their faith and he's reminding them of what, what they believe and what's the truth. He says, now brothers and sisters, because as a church we're a family. We don't always act like a family. Well, yeah, we do. Even, even dysfunctionally, we, we act like a family. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. In the, in the middle of this pagan city, I, I, I mean, gosh, every sin you can imagine, 
and, and those we wouldn't really want to imagine are taking place there. So to be a Christian in Corinth was a lot like being a Christian today. You, you had to take a stand on the gospel. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So that means Paul, Paul has been given this. He received it, and he says, what I received, I passed along to you. What I learned, what I came to believe, I've passed it along to you. And, and here's what he passed along. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. You know why he puts that in there? He's saying, you can go ask them. He does say in the next part of that verse that some of them have fallen asleep, but he said many of them are still alive. You can go and ask them. He's talking about people who experienced the resurrection of Jesus. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Paul was a skeptic. Paul was a persecutor of the Christian church, and he met Jesus on the Damascus Road as he was going to round up Christians. He, he had official papers giving him um, the, the right to collect Christians to bring them back where they could be killed. And on that Damascus road, Paul became a believer. Okay, here's what we need to do. Before we talk about the resurrection of Jesus and how we can know that's true, we need to talk about whether or not Jesus was really dead. Now, to some that might seem odd, but it's a question. There was a theory that was developed around the 18th century and uh, I, I hear it sort of bubbling up today. It's called the swoon theory. And the swoon theory suggests that Jesus didn't really die at all. The swoon theory says that, um, that to fool people, Jesus was drugged. Or that he was beaten severely and he survived the beating and the cross. And when he was put into the tomb... It was cold and damp in there, and after a couple of days, he just came back too. So the swoon theory would say that Jesus did not rise from the grave. He was just revived. There's some big problems with that theory. After Jesus was put on trial, the Gospels tell us that he was, he was flogged. He was beaten with What's sometimes called a cat of nine tails, but it was, it was a whip basically with multiple strips of leather about this long, and uh, inside of the leather strips were uh, pieces of lead to give it weight, and then pieces of broken glass and broken sheep's bone. And, and the idea was that when you would hit a person who's being flogged, the sheep's bone would grab into the flesh, and so you would pull chunks away. 
And the Romans were very good at this. And uh, so they, they wanted to, well, when a person was crucified, they were stretched out. The reason for stretching them out is to make it really hard for them to breathe. And they knew that a person to stay alive, to keep from suffocating, they would have to push themselves up. And so they knew all the, all the points on a person's body where they would try to find some comfort or a place to push up from the cross. And so everywhere that you could maybe get some comfort or some help, that was a part that they focused on, like a person's back. And there are eyewitnesses to crucifixions that say that very often people's tendons were exposed, the, the inside, um, just a, a horribly gruesome sort of thing. And then at the crucifixion site, when a person is stretched out, they had spikes five to seven inches driven into their, their hands, their wrists, and their feet, and then vertically they're hung upside or they're hung on a cross. Sometimes people would suffer there for, for days. And uh, if the Roman soldiers were especially busy and uh, ne needed, needed the cross because they had other people to kill, they would go out and break the person's legs so that the person could not push up and continue to breathe. They would just suffocate and die. And John's gospel tells us that when the soldiers got to where Jesus was on the cross, he was already dead. And keep in mind, these guys are professionals. This is not the B team or the C team. The, the, the soldiers who did these executions, they knew what they were doing. And they knew that Jesus was dead. And so they placed him in a tomb. All right. To play devil's advocate. Not that he needs one. But just to play devil's advocate let's say that jesus did survive the beating and the crucifixion there is no way that the disciples would have looked at him beaten bruised and bloody and said he's overcome the grave pra praise the lord he's alive again they would have never done that would they and one of the things that you have to remember is that the, these disciples, they didn't live cushy, comfortable lives from then on because they proclaimed that Jesus was alive from the grave. That's what they preached. And because of that proclamation, because of that preaching, they all were martyred for it. The, these guys had nothing to gain and everything to lose. So here's the thing. If if Jesus would have come to the disciples, having not died, they would have helped him, they would have cared for him, they would have loved him, they would have still been friends with him, but they would never have preached that he's alive. Jesus dying on the cross is not a myth. When that happened, everybody knew it. So let's talk about evidence that Jesus came back from the grave. You guys feel like you're sitting in a college classroom right now? I hope you don't. 
It feels a little seminarish to me. I'm sorry for that, Sharon. Although I think you like this kind of stuff. Anyway, four evidences for why we can believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And listen, there are a lot more evidences than these four, but I don't have time to give you a lot more. And I'm going to give you the four historical pieces of evidence for Jesus resurrecting from the grave that push me over the line of believing. So, if you got your uh, notes out, let's dig right in. Here's the first, first piece of evidence. It is the early accounts. And that word early is important. It's the early accounts. Okay. Jesus was crucified somewhere between 30 and 33 A.D. Now, one, one of the one of the skeptic points about Jesus' resurrection is that the gospel, which is the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, that the gospels were written 50, 60, 70, maybe even 80 years or more after the resurrection of Jesus. And so why is that a big deal? Well, the, the, the problem is that if there is a large gap of time between Jesus' life and when the gospels were written, it just leaves more opportunity for legends to develop and, and, you know, people to sort of embellish the story. So you wouldn't really know if you're getting a true account. Okay, now listen. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4. I want to read that again. Listen close or watch along. Paul says, For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. He's saying this is crucial, this is critical, this is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Do you know what that is? It's hard to tell when you just look at it in your Bible. But that is a creed. That is a creed by the, the early church that was passed along from the earliest Christians. Listen those who actually witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. Think about that. This is from people who experienced the resurrection. And this creed confirms what? That Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he was resurrected from the grave. And you know what? Scholars can trace this all the way back to within two years after the death of Jesus. So no long period of time between Jesus' life and the Gospels. Not decades and decades and decades. Not a myth. Not made up. And again, Paul says, if you don't believe me, when he's writing this, he says, go and ask the witnesses. Okay, still with me? All right, here we go. Here's evidence number two. It's the empty tomb. We're going to spend a little more time with this one than the others, but I, I think it's worth it. It's the empty tomb. Look at John 20, verses 1 through 8 with me. It says, early on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday, why does the church worship on Sunday? Because Sunday is resurrection day. On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Some translations say rolled away, but both 
rolled away and removed doesn't really, really get it because it makes it seem like it was just either with some struggle it was moved or um, under control it was moved. But the word really means flung away. I mean, the power of God was strong. It was resurrection power. It just flung the stone away. And, and by the way, the, the stone wasn't removed so that Jesus could get out. It was removed so that we could get in. Ron, think of it like a crime scene. To investigate that crime, you have to get in to be able to see. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, which is John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. She's confused, concerned. You know what that says right there? That says that the disciples were not expecting the bodily resurrection. Keep that on the back burner of your mind. If they had been expecting the bodily resurrection, they would all be sitting there as soon as the Sabbath is over, watching that tomb, wouldn't they? But they're not. They're not expecting Jesus to come back from the grave. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, which I think this is funny, because this is John talking about him and Peter running to the tomb. And he says it was a foot race, and I outran him. Maybe these guys were competitive and he just wanted everybody to know from now on that he could outrun Peter. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. And I don't blame him. This is somebody's grave. Even if it's your friend, it's still a grave. And, and it's dark. I wouldn't have just run in there either. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. At least he's willing to give Peter points for being brave. I outran him, but he's, he's braver than I am. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, you know, finally, like how long passed between the time when Peter is in the tomb, when John finally comes in, finally the other disciple who had reached the tomb first. He just tells us one more time. I, I, I got there first. He says, finally, the other disciple had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. What made him believe? I, I'm not exactly sure. But there was something on the inside of that tomb that let him know that Jesus' body wasn't stolen, but that Jesus had been resurrected. One of the things that I've heard skeptics say through the years is that if you look at the four Gospels, they have differences. And because there are differences, that they tell different details, they give different parts of the story, well, that just 